morning. I used to I used to be single. <laughs> and the advice that I have for you men, and I, I'm picking men because the women are to be found. The women are to be prayed for and look look for looking for. Um, and God's providence always uses means, as you know, means like uh, Reformation Singles Conference. So she might be here. So keep keep praying. Keep. Uh, looking and keep talking. And I will add one more. Keep listening. <laughs> and that's why you are here, to, to hear uh, the word of God. When, when Boyd uh, invited me to speak, I was actually expecting a, a topic on you know, singleness, uh, for example, on how to, on how to do um, Christian courting, or on how to stay single until Jesus comes back in glory. <laughs> then he gave me Psalm 72. <laughs> and my struggle was, how is Psalm 72 related to singles? <laughs> what do I do with Psalm 72? Until a light dawned on me, and then I just remembered Psalm 72 actually speaks about the greater son of David, Jesus Christ our Savior, who is very relevant to every one of us, whether we are single, married, young, old, you know, in whatever uh, station in life you are, Christ is rele relevant to our life. So that brought uh, a great comfort to my heart. Um, so I would like to invite you to turn your Bibles to some. 72. And before I read it, I want to ask you this question. How many of you live your life in the presence and experience of Christ's eternal kingdom over your life? Christ's everlasting and righteous rule and all its benefits for you as a child of God. It doesn't matter in which station of life you are right now. Married, single, young, old. The one question that I, I want you all to wrestle with this morning is, are you aware of the presence and the blessings of Jesus' righteous kingdom in your life. Even as a single person. Even 
as a married person like some of us. In the text that is assigned to me, Psalm 72, we are introduced to the prayer of King David for the reign of his son, King Solomon, where the universal kingdom of the greater son of David, our Savior Jesus Christ, is clearly manifested. So let's read Psalm 72. Let's all stand together for the, for the honor of God's word. Psalm 72. Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the peoples and the hills in righteousness. May he defend the cause of the poor of, of the people. Give deliverance to the children of the needy and crush the oppressor. May they fear you while the sun endures and as long as the moon throughout all generations. May he be like rain that falls on the mown grass. Like showers that water the earth. In his days may the righteous flourish and peace abound till the moon be no more. May he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. May desert tribes bow down before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and of the coastlands render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba, Seba bring gifts. May all kings fall down before him. All nations serve him. For he delivers the needy when he calls the poor and him who has no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy and saves the lives of the needy. From oppression and violence, he redeems their life, and precious is their blood in his sight. Long may he live, may gold of Sheba be given to him, may prayer be made for him continually, and blessings invoked for him all the day. May there be abundance of grain in the land, on the tops of the mountains may it wave. May its fruit be like Lebanon. And may people blossom in the cities like the grass of the field. May his name endure forever. His fame continue as long as the sun. May people be blessed in him. All nations call him blessed. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. The prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. Let's pray. Our gracious and heavenly Father, as we now come to the hearing and exposition of your word, we ask you to bring 
heaven down upon us, your children. We ask you, Lord, to use your word to conform us to the likeness of your son, Jesus Christ. And for each and every one of us to make your glory the chief concern of our life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. When Psalm 72 was written, was composed, King David was at the end of his life. If you notice verse 20, the prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. This was his dying moment and time. And he looks forward in anticipation, full of prayers and assurance concerning the future of his throne. And as you all know, your Bible, initially that throne will be occupied by his son, King Solomon. And he, he lived to see his, sons, his son Solomon, Solomon taking the throne of his father David. But here, beloved, David as a prophet of the Lord looks beyond his son Solomon to the glorious reign of his greater son, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, our Savior. So we need to understand though this psalm, in a limited sense, refers to Solomon. But ultimately, it refers to David's greater son, Jesus Christ. Think about Abraham. God promised Abraham that he was going to bless him with the son, Isaac. And when Isaac was born, all the promises of God for a savior, for a deliverer, were bound up in Isaac. As far as Abraham was concerned, Isaac was the token and the evidence that God was going to be faithful to his promise. That's what Abraham saw. Abraham in Isaac saw God's faithfulness. He saw that God is a covenant keeper. That he will never forsake his people. He will never abandon his people. And all nations, including you and I, will be blessed. Through the Messiah, not Isaac, not David, not Solomon. All these men were types of the Messiah to come. Notice carefully, there is more in this psalm that Solomon could have fulfilled. For example, in verse 10, you see the scope of the kingdom made the kings of Tarshish and of the coastlands render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. You see the scope 
of the, the kingdom. How the kingdom was going to be extended to all nations, which will include uh, the, the modern day of uh, Libya, the, more, the modern day of Sudan. Solomon didn't, da- didn't do that. In fact, in Acts 20, 30, Peter, speaking about David, Solomon's father, being therefore a prophet and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ. David was speaking as a prophet of God. And he foresaw ahead of time, before it took place, he saw the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and the risen Lord taking the throne of his father David and establishing a righteous kingdom. A righteous kingdom with a righteous king. And with a righteous government and love and graces and divine benefits. That's why I asked you earlier, where is your life? Are you living your life as a single uh, man, woman or married, you know, couple under the kingship of Christ? Because if you live your life under his rule under his lordship, then all divine benefits will be yours in Christ Jesus. It doesn't mean life will be perfect, but you will be protected, you will be blessed. And you will be granted endurance to live your life by faith. Faith in the Son of God. You see, this is the greater son of David. In Luke uh, chapter 1, Luke chapter 1, the angel reveals this to to Joseph and and Mary in in Luke chapter 1, starting from verse uh, 31. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end, you see. This is not David. This is not Solomon. This is Christ. In fact, Jesus, in Luke eleven thirty one, he said, something greater than Solomon is here. Referring to himself. You see, my friends, the reign of David and Christ were prophetic. They were uh, ty- typological. The Old Testament Jews would ask a question, what will be, what will the reign of the coming Messiah 
looks like. And people give answer like, it would be like the reign of King David. And by that they meant a warrior king. Someone who will um, conquer all the enemies of God's people. Someone who will be a shepherd to Israel. It was true. David was a warrior. He protected and fought for the people of Israel. And he shepherded them like a shepherd. And some people would answer, well, the, the, the kingdom of the Messiah to come will be like the reign of King Solomon. For its peace and wisdom. He was a very wise king and he brought peace and restoration to Israel. So all those were true. But David and Solomon were not perfect kings. They were not righteous in themselves. And they would never bring righteousness to the people of God. They had to receive righteousness from God. They were not righteous. You see, Psalm 72, you know, in the person of uh, Solomon, presents to you a perfect king. A perfect king who loves and cares for poor men and women like you and I. And this morning, by God's grace, I want us to consider four aspects of his, this kingdom, this righteous kingdom, Christ's eternal kingdom, under which you and I as believers are living and walking, worshiping, praying, enjoying fellowship among one another. And the four aspects of this kingdom, if you are taking notes, the first one is, it is a kingdom founded upon righteousness. And then secondly, it is a kingdom of peace. And then thirdly, it is marked by the care it provides. And then fourthly, it's a kingdom by which proud oppressors of God's people will be destroyed. So first, it's the kingdom of righteousness. Listen to the psalmist here in verse 1 to uh, 3. Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. So the first thing I want you to understand is the, uh, the kingship of uh, Christ, the greater son of David, was by uh, divine right. God the Father gave him that kingship, that rule, over all the nations, over all peoples of this world. It was by divine right and it was for the purpose of 
ruling and governing with righteousness. What does it mean? To rule by righteousness, to govern by righteousness. You see, God is concerned about righteousness. What does it mean? Being right with God. Being in the right relationship with God. Doing things according to the law of God. So God appointed a king, you know, beyond David, beyond Solomon, who would come and not only govern people with righteousness, but gives his righteousness to the people so that they would have a right relationship with God. I'm sure now David and Solomon are behind, behind you. I just want you to focus on the greater son of David, Christ. David would be okay with that. Solomon would be okay with that. And you and I would be a better place, in a better place with that. And let me tell you what I mean. God appointed this righteous king... His son, Jesus Christ, and sent him with, with the righteous kingdom so that he would judge people according to God's law, which is righteous and perfect and pure. In John 5.22, Jesus said, For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. For the son to do what? For the son to judge all according to God's righteousness. According to the measurement of God's righteousness. That's why our brother Ken was calling us to kiss the son. To have a relationship with the son. To bow down and worship the son because he is the king. God the Father has appointed him as the king. As, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son. Lest you will be destroyed. Why is that? Because he's going to judge you according to God's righteousness. And you all know God's law requires absolute perfection. And no one is perfect. No one is able to keep the law of God Perfectly, and that's why Jesus came to keep the law perfectly on our behalf, in our place, and bring 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 us to that right relationship with God. You see, Romans 5 1, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we now have peace with God through. 
his son, Jesus Christ. So justification is not by works. Justification is by faith. But this king, servant king, shepherd king, came to die on the cross in order to bring us into this state of grace, state of you know, adoption as sons and daughters of God. So, he was appointed as a king to judge by righteousness. What does that tell you about Christ? Your righteousness is in Christ. It is from Christ. It is an alien righteousness. It was a gift from God. You received it by faith. But who gave you that righteousness? You see, often we think about this, you know, Psalm 73, the suffering Messiah, you know, being crucified on the cross. But but we need to remember this. He is a king. A king who was not ashamed to take your place on the cross. Died for you to reconcile you with his father. That's what Psalm 72 is talking about. His kingdom is founded in righteousness as a gift from God. You see, the law of God demands that the wage of sin, our sins, must be paid. Romans 6.23, for the wage of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through the eternal king in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul uh, brings this truth home in Galatians 3.13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. That's the righteousness that the psalmist is talking about. You know, him governing with righteousness. Righteousness from above. You see, when God deals with sin, he doesn't, you know, sweep our sin under the carpet. He doesn't pretend as if our sin doesn't exist. No, he dealt with our sin through the death of a righteous son on behalf of sinners who died on the cross. The just. For whom? For the unjust. What a God. What a Savior. A God who justifies the unjust, not by their, by their own deaths, but by, by, by the deaths of his own begotten son, Jesus Christ. Do you know, my friends, when, when God the Father sent his son, Jesus Christ, down to the earth? The father was without his son, whom he loved eternally. 
And why is that? Because he loved us before the foundation of the world. And the only explanation that you and I come up with is his love. That eternal and electing, loving love of God from eternity. So you see, his kingdom is founded upon righteousness. The simple question that I have for you is, um, is your righteousness the righteousness of Jesus Christ? You know, men, when you married a woman, and I'm addressing you as singles, If you, take, if you don't take that woman as your wife, having the righteousness of Jesus Christ in your life, there will be a time in your life where you will incline to tell your wife that your righteousness is your own doing. You will struggle with pride. You will become self-centered. Your marriage might struggle. And I'm glad you are hearing this message before you even are married. When people enter into marriage believing that their righteousness is a gift from God, imagine what that will do to their marriage. Same to the woman, the Christian woman. Secondly, it's a kingdom of peace. It's a kingdom of peace. And we see that in verse uh, 3 to 7. Let me, let me read them. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. May he defend the cause of poor of the people. Give deliverance to the children of needy and crush the oppressor. May they fear you while the sun endures and as long as the moon throughout all generations. Now verse 6. May he be like rain that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. In his days may the righteous flourish and peace abound till the moon be no more. You remember the peace that uh, King Sol Solomon brought to Israel? It was uh, a time of uh, um, celebration and tranquility and uh, worship and praise. It was a wonderful time under uh, Sol Solomon's rule. He was a man of peace. He brought peace and restoration to Israel, including the temple in Israel. But he was a man who started well, and then he finished it bad. Bad, bad. Remember how many wives, remember what the wives did. They brought all their false gods to Israel. He even constructed temples for, for the false gods. But think about Jesus. Think about Jesus. His peace is everlasting. 
His peace is eternal. He told his disciples, the peace that I give you is not like the peace that the world gives you. I will give you this peace. No one will take this peace away from you. It is the gift of peace from the Prince of Peace. From the Master of Peace. You see, peace in God's word does not only mean the absence of hostility. It is the language of true spiritual prosperity. Not material prosperity, but spiritual prosperity by, by the hand of God in heaven. From the hand of God in heaven. In fact, the psalmist says this peace is like the rain that falls on the, on the moon grass like showers that water the earth. It doesn't disturb, but it, it encourages. It fills your heart and your mind with, with the peace of his son, Jesus Christ. That peace which transcends all knowledge and understanding. Let me ask you this. Do you sometimes understand your own life? Do you sometimes understand your plans? Do you sometimes understand your singleness? And for how long you will stay as a single man or woman? Do, do you, you know, sometimes we don't understand the, things. They are beyond of our knowledge. They are beyond of our understanding. Then, Jesus gives us peace. Inner peace, which transcends what we don't understand, what we don't know. And his peace fills our hearts and our minds. You know, from the pulpit, I used to preach to the people of God when I was back home. I used to tell them, you know, from the pulpit... We must suffer for Christ. In fact, when we suffer for Christ, we should consider it a joy. And then it came home. I found myself in prison. And then I say to myself, what's, what's happening? What, what's going on? It, it looks like, you know, it looks like, um, you know, I'm losing the battle. It looks like the church is losing the battle. I don't understand this. And I, I was in a metal uh, shipping container, uh, you know, in the, middle, in the middle of nowhere. I, I, I understood nothing. But I had peace. And the peace transcended what I never understood. Like a rain that waters the earth. You know, sometimes hardship, trials in this life, they, they stand before us like a mountain. Yes? Remember the people of Israel. You know, all their troubles, all their trials stood before them like a mountain. And they say to themselves, you know, I don't, you know, we don't think we can, you know, move forward. And then 
God told Zechariah to speak to the people of Israel in Zechariah 4.7. Who are you? Great mountain, question mark, before the Rebabel. You shall become plain, and he shall bring forward the top stone amid shouts of grace, grace to it. It would be peace. God will give peace to his people in the midst of trials and suffering. I have singles in my church who from, from time to time meet with me for counseling. So I know how sometimes you men and women feel about where you are right now. But listen to Paul in Philippians 4, 6. Do not be anxious about anything. Now, this sounds simple. Especially for someone who is married. It's not a simple word, words of, they're not a simple words of encouragement. Listen carefully. Listen where Paul will bring you in relation to Psalm 72. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Which means when you pray to God for a provision of a godly woman, a godly man, be content. That's where you start. Be thankful about where you are right now. God knows what you want. And God has what is best for you so be content in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God now listen to this and the peace see and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus what does this mean you know, you will not go your own way and, uh, and, and choose ungodly women, choose unbelieving women. You will not get frustrated to the extent of, you know, saying, well, you know, he didn't provide. So, you know, I will take matters into my own hand and marry this woman who doesn't walk with Christ. No, 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 no. If you are content, if you are thankful with where you are right now, with God's grace, with God's provision, you will be thankful. Your prayer will be full of thanksgiving. And then you will have peace. From the king, who is the prince of peace. You see, his kingdom is the kingdom of peace. And where is the foundation of this peace? The foundation of this peace, beloved, is in the peace that Christ has established between you and God. I already quoted Romans 5, 1 and 2 for you. We have peace with God through his son Jesus Christ. But you remember when Christ was born in Bethlehem, the angels from up in the sky, they sang 
a hymn, a song. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth what? Peace. Among those with whom he is pleased. Let me ask you this. Is God pleased with you right now? The response that I'm expecting is a resounding yes. Because you are in Christ. When John the Baptist baptized Christ. God the Father from heaven said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And if you are in Christ, God sees you being in Christ. And because he is pleased with his son, he is pleased with you. Because you have taken his son as your refuge by faith. Peace. There is peace between you and God. There is peace between you and God's providence. There is peace between you and God's chastisement in the Christian life. When he disciplines you as a father who loves you, you will have peace. Not only that, then you are called for peace. Do you know that? He gave us peace and he calls us to be peacemakers. To be at peace with everyone. As a young man, you approach a young woman in your church, in school, in workplace, and you are convinced that she is the right woman for you, and you ask her to consider you as a future hus husband, she will say, I don't think you are the right person for me. What do you do? You live at peace. Romans 14, 19. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Thirdly, this kingdom is marked by the care it provides. This king makes us righteous by faith. He gives us inner peace through the shedding of his blood <clears throat> and reconciling us with the Father. But then his kingdom is marked by the care he provides in verse 4. May he defend the cause of the poor of the people. <clears throat> Give deliverance to the children of the needy and crush the oppressor. And then verse 12. For he delivers the needy when he calls the poor and him who has no helper. Verse 14. From oppression and violence he redeems their life and precious is their blood in his sight. You know, from the time that he calls them, <clears throat> from the time that he created them, and then he calls them to himself, to the time of their deaths, they are precious in his sight. He takes care of them. Number one, he died for them on the cross. Number two, he provides 
to them. Remember in John 10, Jesus presents himself as a door <clears throat> and he tells us anyone who enters through this door, he will come in and go out and will find a pasture in me. So only in that verse you see your calling, you see the, your salvation, and you see you know, yourself being preserved by God's grace. As you go in, go out, and you come in. In John <clears throat> 15, Jesus talks about himself as the divine. And you, are, you and I as branches. And he tells us this. If you abide in me, you will bear fruit, much fruit. And the outcome of your Christian life will be joy and peace. In Christ Jesus who is your true vine. Your true vine. You know, how is the righteous described in Psalm 1? Like a tree planted by the stream of water. And what is the outcome? It prospers. You know, all the time it prospers. Because there is provision, you see. There is the you know, provision of the Spirit, the Word. And then the fellowship of the saints, the sacraments. You know, in our hymn book, we sing a hymn. <clears throat> the title is, you know, you know, how vast are divine benefits in Christ Jesus. We sing that hymn all the time. But my hope, my prayer, all the time that we sing that hymn is... For us to understand the benefits, you know, the divine benefits that the, the hymn talks about. Our justification. Our adoption. Our sanctification. Our glorification. You know, the peace of conscience that God has given us. The joy of the Holy Spirit. This kingdom comes to us through Christ with love and care. And then lastly, it is a kingdom by which proud oppressors will be destroyed. In verse 4, may he be like, um, verse 4, may he defend the cause of the poor of the people, give deliverance to the children of the needy, and crush the oppressors. And then verse 9. May desert tribes bow down before him. And his enemies lick the dust. I was so glad when Ken reminded us. That a day is coming. Where all the enemies of Christ. And the people of God. Unless they repent. That God will hold them accountable. 
for all their deeds. Are you sometimes um, sad in sorrow? Maybe sometimes it uh, tries your faith when you see wicked men and women of this world standing against Christ, against the Messiah, against the church, against what you believe, against your worship to the true and the living God. But listen to this. Isaiah and Isaiah 54, 17 said, No weapon that is fashioned against you shall succeed. And you shall refute every tongue that raises, that raises against you in judgment. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. And their vindication from me declares the Lord. Listen, brothers and sisters in Christ. If we have Christ as our king, ruling over us and, you know, the entire universe, if we live our life under his kingship, under his lordship, the enemy might roar, the enemy might bark, but they can never ruin the people of God. How come? Psalm 121.3 He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. You see, that's your protection. You know, he will destroy your, your enemies. And he will keep you. In his hands forever. You know Paul saw this by faith. And he, he taught the church of Jesus Christ to believe in this. 1 Corinthians 15-24. Then comes the end. Paul said. When he delivers the kingdom to God the Father. After destroying every rule. Every authority. And every power. This day is coming that's the hope of the people of God that's our hope and the reason is God has established this righteous and eternal kingdom upon the earth I don't know how many of you have memorized your shorter catechism. But question 26 asks a question. How does Christ execute the office of a king? Now listen to the answer. Christ executes the office of a king. Number one, in subduing us to himself. That's our regeneration. That's our new spiritual birth. Where God through the mighty work of the Holy Spirit changed your will, renewed your will. And then in the day of his power, you came to Jesus willingly. 
in subduing us to himself, and then in ruling and defending us. When? Even today. Even today. He protects his church. He's protecting his church back home. He's protecting his church here in America. Do you know how I know that? When they take you to prison, they arrest you. They control your movement. But they don't take your faith away from you. And they don't take the Holy Spirit away from you. That's the reality of the Christian life. And here, they can insult you. They can make fun of you. On, on the media. At the mall. At the park. But he will defend you. And then listen to this. Christ executes the office of a king in subduing up to himself, in ruling and defending us. Now listen to this. And in restraining. Restraining the, the wrath of our enemies. The fact that you and I are here in the church this morning, it's the restraining power of our King, Jesus Christ. By now, they would have destroyed us. But we are in the hand of this eternal and majestic King, Christ, who is our shepherd. He's restraining them for his own glory, for the salvation of the elect. For the gathering, the perfecting of the saints in Christ's church through the means of grace. And then listen to this wonderful news, marvelous news. In restraining and conquering all his and our enemies. Praise God. Let's pray. A gracious and heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ, <clears throat> our Lord, our King, our Master. And now we ask you to help us as singles, as married people, to continue living our lives under the kingship and the lordship of your son, Jesus Christ. Recognizing all the divine benefits that you, our God, have, has bestowed upon us through him. Lord, help us to recognize them, to benefit from them, to grow in them, to love them, to cherish them. Help us not to neglect them. Simply because they are called an ordinary means of grace. That will not be blind from seeing the riches of these divine benefits in Christ Jesus. 
Thank you, Lord, for the gift of righteousness, for the gift of peace, for all the spiritual benefits that we have in Christ Jesus. And thank you that the day is coming on which our Lord Jesus Christ, our King, will destroy his enemies and our enemies for his own glory. We pray all these things in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.